Um, hey, I've got an announcement to make that was not put in the announcements because I just got it finalized, and our staff's looking at like, what is he announcing? Um, silent prayer retreat, something. Who's ever been to a silent prayer retreat in the past? Okay, a whole bunch of you. Um, it's a history in this church and in this district, um, th- three-day silent prayer retreats in the Ignatian format, and for years they've not been held. Well, Suzanne and I have been asked to become the new district director of our silent prayer retreats, and for the last at least dozen years, 10 years, something like that, they've only, the district level, been held for pastors. And so our pastors for 31 years have annual, have had annual silent prayer retreats. Well, now Suzanne and I are the directors of that, and we felt that there needed to be a little, a little blessing to our congregation because we had taken the responsibility on, and it's a big responsibility. And so what I asked is, if we would do the minister's silent prayer retreats, could we also add two weekend silent prayer retreats to our district schedule that are open to not only pastors, but to everybody else in the churches? And that's been approved. And so we have two weekend silent prayer retreats coming up this year. And um, one will be in, I know they're always in fall, one's going to be this year in spring, so April 28th through the 30th at Spencer Lake, which is two hours from here, um, we will have our first silent prayer retreat led by Suzanne and I at, at, at Wapaka, um, Spencer Lake. And then a fall one, September 15th through the 17th, and it will start um, in the evenings on, on Friday night, and they will end at noon on Sunday. And that one will be all the way up at Assembly Park Camp which is near Superior. It's about 30 miles south of Superior. That's like six hours away, five and a half, six hours away, something like that. But both on lakes, both beautiful sites. I would say this, the Assembly Park one is even way prettier. It's gorgeous. And the Assembly Park one, you could come and bring your own camper to it because it's a campgrounds and it's available for that. And um, you're telling me something here. It's more rustic than... But it still has bathrooms and showers and all that stuff. But at, at Wapaka, you have a bathroom in your room. At Assembly Park, you have corporate bathrooms. Corporate, is that the way it says? Probably not. Community, I don't know what's the word for it. So, so anyways, group bathrooms. Um, but anyways, um, here's the deal. The reg- so the campground, so, our, so Assembly Park, so I take Wapaka, um, uh, uh, Spencer Lake, for instance, we have 700 kids a week that we run through that, pan, through that um, campgrounds. Um, we can only accommodate 50 retreatants because every retreatant gets their own room. So in, a, in the summer, we'll, we'll have a room that has room for 30 kids. That one room is for one retreatant because every person on a silent retreat gets their own room. And so we can only have 50 retreatants at the one and only 25 retreatants at the Assembly Park one. We have some of those spots still reserved for pastors, that we had to still do that for, for pastors who could be there because a district, our district underwrites a huge cost of this. Um, there is a cost, and I can't tell you the cost yet because it's not been published, and I'm not exactly sure what it is. Um, but it's going to be around, I think, around 175 or $200, which is super low. The retreat that we go to every year at the Jesuit Retreat House is $795 to go on a retreat per person. So this is way lower. Our district underwrites a bunch of the cost. And so here's the deal. Registration is opening up on, on February 6th. I'm going to recommend if you're going to go, you register on February 6th. That's my recommendation. Somebody actually contacted me and said, do I have to get up at midnight that day? Probably don't have to get up at midnight that day, but I would recommend it because here's what we're going to do. 
This year, we're not even advertising other than an email that went out to all the churches um, the, that everybody else can come. We're simply going to call the, about four churches in the area that were very involved in retreating and let them know because we are pretty convinced we're going we're gonna to fill up our retreats like that. And so, um, so if you have been on a retreat, if you've not been on a retreat, if you've been on a retreat, first of all, raise your hand again. Talk to, keep your hand up for a second. Talk to any one of these people, if you've been on a three-day Islam prayer retreat, any one of these people and ask them what they're like. Because, you can put your hands down, because they will tell you you need to go. Not like, like, earn favor with God need to go. Like, you will literally hear from God in ways you don't hear from God in any other way. In, in, this, in It's directed silence. It's not boring. It's directed silence. We will give you topics. And those topics then, you will take the information from those topics and you'll go away for a couple of hours and, and spend time in the Bible and spend time with the Lord in the Bible and, and in other exercises and you will, God will help you through a certain area. Then you'll come back for another short meeting, a 30 minute meeting, and we will talk about another topic and you'll go away for that topic. So it goes pretty quick, but it's the most silence. 90% of your time will be in silence. 10% will be in talks. And so, they are, they're life-changing. The reason we do them is because that we lead them and agreed to do it is because of the difference they make in people's lives and in our lives. So that's the commercial for that. And I took probably way too much time to do that. But here's the deal. Um, February 6th, it opens up. You'll want to register on February 6th if you want to go. Okay? Amen? Amen? Amen. All right. Hey, you know what today is? It is the final, first final Sunday of January, because the final Sunday of January, it is the final Sunday of our, the spiritual self-checkup we've been doing as a way to get in a good, solid position as we launch into a brand new year with Jesus. And so we've been, we've been going through these different things, um, topics every single week, looking for how we can become more like, like Christ. And what we're doing is we're seeing, the goal is see what can be as we look at the life of Jesus and then say, what are you inviting us into? Your life is a model for us. You live within us. And so what are you inviting us to become? And so we looked at the last couple of weeks, we looked at, first of all, the everyday life of Jesus. This as he interacted with people. What could we learn from that? The character traits. Last week, we looked at the, how Jesus walked through struggling and difficulty and death. What could we learn about how we could walk through challenges as we looked at how he walked through them? And today, at the final week, we are going to look at scriptures pertaining to Jesus' resurrection and ask ourselves, what am I seeing in these stories in scripture as an invitation from God to grow into? How does Jesus' life um, and the lives of those, especially the resurrection, it's not so much about Jesus' life we're going to look at, but those who interacted with Jesus when he was resurrected, what do their lives, um, their situations reveal what can be in our lives as we walk with the Lord. So what we're going to do, we're going to keep this kind of terminology the same as we've done in the last couple of weeks. We're going to wander through some various scriptures, this time tied to the, to the resurrection of Christ, and we're going to see what can God speak to us about what could happen in our lives as, as we allow him to teach us um, things from his resurrection. All right? So let's start by looking at a resurrection um, uh, event that's recorded in Luke's gospel. So open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, and we'll, 
We'll get to the text in a second, but let me set the stage for it because I want to kind of explain what's going on here before we look at the text so that we don't have to read the whole chapter. What we find in Luke 24, we find recorded that it says some women, it just says some women, um, who were Jesus' followers, came to the tomb early in the morning to prepare Jesus' body for burial. Obviously, Jesus had been falsely tried, found guilty, crucified, beaten, crucified, died, buried in a, in a, in a borrowed tomb. And now these ladies had come um, to prepare Jesus' body for burial. They're coming to the tomb three days, on the third day. And when they got there, they found that the stone, they talk about, in Luke, it says, they're talking about, how are we going to roll the stone away? And it says they get there, and they found the stone, which had sealed the tomb, had already been rolled away, and the body, they look inside, Jesus' body is gone. And in, and in Luke's gospel, it says that two angels then ask them this important question, why are you looking for the dead among the living? And he added this, he said, didn't he promise you? that he would rise on the third day. And that's what we're going to pick up um, in Luke 24. We're going to start in verse 8. So that's all this happened. And start looking at verse 8. This is this. And they remembered his words. So the angels of this talked to him. And then they remember what Jesus had said. They, these women, they remember his word, Jesus' words in verse 9. And returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the 11 and to all the rest of so the 11 disciples and the other followers of Christ. Verse 10, now they were, here's some of the ladies, first time we're saying who they are, Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Also, the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe. But then look at verse 12. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb And stooping down, looking in, he saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. I want us to focus on Peter. We'll stop right there. I want us to focus on Peter in this story. The women had come and told the apostles about what they had experienced at at the tomb, and the other apostles thought it was nonsense, but Peter was different. He ran to the tomb and saw it empty, and it says this, he marveled at what had happened. And remember what we've been doing as we're wandering through these stories. We're trying to not just take the surface. We're trying to look at at the motivations. We're trying to look at what's beneath just the, the surface of it. And so when it says he marveled at what had happened, what kind of below the surface is this? Peter's heart for the first time in three days, was filled with hope. He was marveling because his heart was filled with hope. He hadn't yet seen Jesus alive. That was going to come shortly. But, and he didn't know that was going to happen. But seeing the empty tomb and hearing the report from the woman, his heart began to be filled with hope. It is something like this. The text doesn't say it exactly, but this is what's inferring. It's saying, he's in his mind going, could it really be? Could it really be? Could Jesus really be alive? Could the things that he said back then actually mean this? Could it happen? And hope began to well up in his heart. And as I was meandering through the resurrection texts and saying, God, what could you teach us about what it is to to live? What could you invite us into to live in the reality of your resurrection? 
the first thing I noticed as I wandered through these resurrection texts was this. Because Jesus is alive, like Peter, we also can have hope. Because Jesus is alive, we can also have hope. Friends, there are a lot of times in life when we don't know what the outcome will be. When things have not gone as we thought they would have gone, and it is so easy to get discouraged. It's so easy to lose hope. But the resurrection speaks to that discouragement. The resurrection says, if God could raise Jesus from the dead, then there's nothing in your life that he cannot do. It reminds us that God is our Abba Father, and you can trust him, and he's able to do far beyond, the Bible says, anything that you could, that you could ask or imagine. So the resurrection says this, you and I can have hope. The resurrection reminds us that we have every reason to have hope in our God who is living because he's alive, he rose from the dead. Our God who is loving. Friends, are there things in your life that at one time maybe you believed God had spoken to you about? You know, you had this God dream about something that he had in store for you, or you believed that he wanted to do something through you, or you felt he had given you a promise. But now years or maybe decades have passed away, and that dream just hasn't happened. You're kind of like Abraham before the birth of Isaac. You are certain that you heard the voice of God, but you, what you once were so sure of just hasn't happened. And now, for, like him, maybe you're an old man or an old woman. Friends, the resurrection speaks to us here. Never before did a situation seem so dire as the disciples faced that day. Jesus, the hope of Israel was dead and he was buried in a borrowed tomb. And friends, all hope was gone. But, but, but the women came with a message. They said the tomb is empty. The angel said that he was among the living. Hope began to be rekindled. Hope began to be restored. And friends, as you and I spend time thinking about the resurrection this week and meandering through the text of the resurrection, which I hope you've been taking the opportunity to do in these weeks as we've been giving you, you know, a path to walk on every week and say, now spend, you know, Sunday, Sunday afternoon through, through next Saturday wandering through these as we've been doing this and thinking about the resurrection. Friends, ask God to rekindle your hope for those things that really are his promises and dreams for you. The resurrection says we can have hope. The resurrection is the message of hope. Right? You know what? We can rest in that hope, but that's not where we have to stop. Let's wander through another section of Scripture and let's see, look look for another thing that we can discover as we look at the resurrection of Jesus. And I'll tell you what this one is first, and then we'll look at the text. And it's this, because of the resurrection, we can not only stand in hope, but we can experience true joy. We discover this as we look at at John's account, and that's where we're going to go in a minute, the Gospel of John's account of the resurrection. 
In chapter 20, we find the disciples in, a, in, in hiding on Sunday evening. They're, they're, they're hiding there. The women had been to the tomb and had come back and they had this extraordinary story about angels and an empty tomb. That was in the morning and now it's the evening of that day. And we find at evening that says the disciples are hiding. We want to pick up with the story there. So turn in your Bibles to, to John's gospel, John chapter 20. Just looking at two verses here. So they're in hiding and it says this on 19 and 20. So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, so they're huddled in fear behind locked doors, thinking they killed Jesus, they're going to come and kill us. Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. Remember, looking for the holes that had pierced through his hands and the spear that had stabbed him in his side. And the disciples, look at the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Notice the reaction of the disciples when they saw Jesus alive. It says they rejoiced. They expressed their joy. Their emotions went from fear in one moment to joy in the very next. Why? All because they came to the reality of knowing that Jesus really was alive. And friends, there's really something very important in the resurrection story that when we find out that Jesus is alive, there's something very important that we learn about joy in this story, and it's this. Joy, true joy, lasting joy is always because of something. See, people experience a level of joy in all kinds of ways. They experience a level of joy when their football team wins. They experience a level of joy when, when they, 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 they get married or when they have a baby or when they have a grandchild. That's, that is true joy. It's joy. But it's joy based on things in their lives that are temporary. And the next week, their team loses or their marriage struggles or maybe doesn't last. And maybe their grandchild, something happens, or they live far away, and that joy begins to slip away. See, friends, here's what we learned from the resurrection. What joy is based on matters. The disciples here show us the key to having great, lasting joy. Their joy was based upon being in a relationship with the risen Savior. See, because Jesus rose from the dead, he is now alive forevermore. So when we tie our joy to being with him, then our joy is full and stable and lasting. This is what Jesus was teaching before his death. And John records it in John 15 when he was explaining the importance of abiding with him. You know, John 15, the story is about abiding in the vine. Familiar with that? Most of you have not. Read it this afternoon, John 15. Jesus talks about abiding with him. It's like, it's like staying connected to a vine. And in verse 11 of that text, it says this, these things, Jesus' words, these things I have spoken to you so that my, key here, my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Look what he does here. Jesus' words, he ties abiding with him to his followers having great Full and lasting joy. And notice what it says about joy. That it is tied to the abiding in Christ. It's not just our joy. Look what he says. It's actually his joy within us. 
When we abide with the eternal risen Savior, then his presence, which is joy, dwells within us. Friends, that's a different kind of joy. No football team or even grandchild can give you that kind of joy. Friends, this is only possible because of the resurrection. When Jesus lived on earth before the resurrection, he could be with a few people at one time, right? Sometimes large crowds, but limited, only so many, so many people. But when he died and rose again and ascended to the right hand of the Father, it says in Scripture, then the Holy Spirit was sent not just to be with us, but to be in us. We abide with Jesus as we, as we abide with the Spirit of God that is within us. And from him comes joy that is stable and lasting because he is stable and lasting. This is what King David could say. Even though King David couldn't understand it fully because it was before Jesus was alive or before Jesus was risen from the grave. But he says this, so important about joy. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand. There are present pleasures forevermore. Above, on the soffit, in our kitchen, above our cabinets, those words are written. In your presence is fullness of joy. Not just our joy. His joy within us. Joy, lasting joy, comes from being in the presence, dwelling in the presence of our resurrected Savior. So because of the resurrection, we can experience Joy, lasting joy. The resurrection matters. Because of the resurrection, we have joy. Because of the resurrection, we have hope. But this doesn't stop right there. I want us to look at one more thing that we discover as we wander through the resurrection stories of Jesus. And it's this. And this is going to explain to you there's going to be a shift here. That we can, because of the resurrection, be part of the most important work on planet Earth. Now, I want you to notice something. Up to this point in this checkup we've been doing, and it's been, this is the fifth week. Up to this point, we have been looking at ways for ourselves to become more like Jesus. We've been saying, God, what, how can you change me from the inside out? We've been looking at us. We've been kind of navel-gazing. We've been saying, what about me? How do I become like Christ? And that's super important. But now, as we come to just the very final point of the final week, we make a shift. We realize that becoming like Jesus has a purpose. It goes beyond character formation. Character formation is the foundation of what comes next. That it becomes now, once we, as we're being formed in Christ's likeness, we're being formed for a purpose. We're being formed so that we can now join him in his mission. At the very end of Matthew's gospel, after the resurrection, the very final words that Matthew records that Jesus wrote, we find what we call the Great Commission. Turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 28. The very end the very last words of the Gospel of Matthew. We find what we call in the church world the Great Commission. Something you're probably familiar with, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, but I want to point something out to you um, that maybe you didn't notice before. Verse 18, it says, Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, 
all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I command you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is Jesus' invitation for his followers to get involved in the most important work in the world. Going into all the world with the gospel message and making disciples. It says we are the ones who get to go and to teach and to preach and to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? But the resurrection here teaches us something that is vital. Something that sometimes we overlook or maybe even say we realize, but we really don't seem to embrace and live into. And it's this. Our going, our doing, will only be effective as we realize realize that it's Jesus' activity through us. Jesus says, look at this, our going is based upon two things. And he sandwiches the text in the middle of these two things. They both have to do with his resurrected authority, his resurrection presence rather. He says, we go based upon his authority and that he'll always be with us. He tells us to go, but he he sandwiches us in these ideas between saying, oh, it's in my authority and I will be with you. Friends, Jesus is inviting us because he's alive and resurrected. He's inviting us into a partnership. He is alive and well, and he is wanting to reach out to those who have not yet come to know him. And the way he accomplishes this is by partnering with you and me. His authority sending us. His authority through us. His presence with us. His preaching and teaching through us as we live in the presence of the risen Savior. He never ever asks us to just go do ministry alone. He never asks us to just try harder on our own to go do something that's impossible without him. Having the heart of a human being turn from being self-willed to following the creator of the universe, the savior of the world. No man can preach that into happening. No church can force that into happening. It is a work of the spirit of God. And he invites us to join him in it. We are in a partnership with him. It's his mission. It's his authority that can accomplish his mission. And we are his hand-picked people that he is abiding with, that he operates through to accomplish his mission. The resurrection reminds us that it's a partnership. That's what the resurrection speaks to us. And I think this is really, really, really important for two reasons. First, for those of us who take the Great Commission very seriously... It reminds us that all of the responsibility for reaching lost people does not rest upon our shoulders. It's God's mission. He operates through his people. It's not your mission. He's inviting you to join with him in his mission. The resurrection reminds us that he called and sends us, but he never intended for us to do these things on our own. He sandwiches between saying, you have my authority and my presence when you do this that he is with us and he is calling us to rest in him, to trust in him and to follow him, that he is our leader. So that's the first reason it's so important. The second reason I think it's really important is for those people, and you say, how could this be possible? But it's true. And it's very true. 
that do not take the, very, the Great Commission very seriously. It's a reminder, friends, that his presence has a purpose. So often people in the church want to enjoy the presence of God, just being with God, caring for my soul, loving Jesus, dwelling in his presence, worshiping. Friday night, I feel sorry for anybody that couldn't make it on Friday night for our worship and prayer night. Our worship and prayer night here was phenomenal. It was hours of blessing. It was, it was great. You know, it was, I love it, just being with Jesus. And friends, I'm all for just being with Jesus and being formed into his image as I commune with him. But we need to remember that his presence has a purpose. He wants us to partner with him in reaching people that do not yet know him as Savior and Lord. And notice, he tells his followers something in Matthew 28. He says, go. It requires our action. It requires our involvement as well as it requires his. See, the resurrection reminds us that all of Jesus' followers are called into this partnership. All are to go in the same, all are not to go in the same capacity. Some of us go across the street to our neighbors and our friends. Some of us are called to go across the world to different people groups. But the resurrection reminds us that we are all called to go with Jesus and partner with him in his mission. I'm going to invite the worship team to come right now. You see, as we're wandering through these texts of the resurrection, we're learning these things that are meant to shape us and form us. He tells us his mission is his mission, but that he calls us to be part of it. He tells us, in my, because I'm alive, you can experience joy that the world can't offer. Because it's not only joy because something goes good, it's joy because His presence is within us and He gives us His joy. And the resurrection says, you can have hope. Because there's nothing God can't do. If He can raise Jesus from the grave, He can do anything in your life. And here's what I wonder. Here's what I hope for this week. I hope that as you will take some time to wander through the, through the resurrection stories with the Lord, with the Lord, what other things He's going to speak into your heart? What is He going to say to you? I've always been sharing with you every week. These are the things He's saying to me. And they're true for all of us, but the things He's pointing out to me as I wander through the resurrection stories. What are the things He's going to speak to you? as you spend time with him allowing him to speak to your heart so we're going to end a little differently today as we think on these things because we do have an annual business meeting and we do have a potluck following I'm going to invite you all to stand this morning and we're going to end by worshiping together with the worship team and here's what I'm hoping for that in this, these moments as God has spoken some of these things into your heart, and as we now just worship, the, the, the information dump is done. And now as we worship, God would begin to fill our hearts with hope and joy and purpose. So as we worship in this, we're going to sing the songs, but also have your heart open to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And say, God, what are you speaking to me because you're alive?
And because he's alive, he can speak, and he is speaking. What are you saying to me today? So let's just spend a few minutes allowing the Lord to speak as we worship together.